Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! How come that's always the mystery music? I know. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris. I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2022 in 2023 and for all time available on Netflix, Glass Onion. A Knives Out Mystery. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Brought to you by the Museum of Jurassic Technology. <laughs> Which you visited recently. Yep. Nobody knows what that is except people in L.A. And I'm guessing in L.A. only a few of those people. It's such a curious... Tell our listeners about the Museum of Jurassic Technology. First of all, there's no dinosaurs, so that's a major bummer. But I guess it's <laughs> stuff invented by dinosaurs that lasted... Wait. Or whatever. <laughs> no, come on. I'm not really sure. I have no idea why it's Jurassic Technology. It's a uh, museum of oddities curated by one family, I guess. And it's an ever-rotating exhibit that has new stuff, I guess, every time, more or less, every time you go. It's crazy. It's like a Winchester mystery house of weirdo Hollywood. But we're not talking about fantastical things like Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. This is the crumbling ancient dice from Ricky Jay's personal collection, which does tie into Glass Onion and uh, and the history of trailers, like actual like Mickey style, I Love Lucy style camping trailers that you pull behind your car. There's an entire room devoted to it. It defies logic and explanation uh, like Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery. Because it's very layered, but you can see right through to the core. <laughs> right, like you can see the artifice or something. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that Miles Bronze's mansion, which was actually a museum in and of no, it was a hotel, was so, so filled with oddities and curiosities, none of which were particularly noteworthy, save the Mona Lisa. It just seemed kind of like a random assortment, which reminded me about the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Come on, there was like Paul McCartney's guitar. And then there was everyone's small batch consumables, like Jeremy Renner and Jared Leto. And who else did they name drop? I think those might have been the only two. But when you're super rich, you can afford those things and you can afford to be random and particular. And uh, all that was only possible because it was funded by the Crypto Kids app that paid for the entire building. NFTs equal kids. Right. See, I think so. So I think that I can look forward to weird, lavish, bizarre parties on your island estate in the future. I'll put it this way. If I have a yacht and a private island, you're invited. Yeah. Are you going to send me a random Jumanji for adults, uh, unnecessarily elaborate invitation puzzle box? <laughs> I will send you a letter in a bottle. You know, I ha still have this puzzle box that I inherited in my time at Mattel. Uh -huh. that I haven't been able to figure out. I really don't know what's inside. 
I, I can figure it out. Anyway, I, it was catharsis watching Janelle Monet open her puzzle box because I have zero patience for that kind of stuff. The first portion of the movie, probably what, 15 minutes of it was devoted to the box. And Kelly Ray was like, you're hating this right now, aren't you? And I thought it was interesting because I didn't have to open the stupid thing. It was a little tedious, especially considering that it doesn't pay off later. Right. The only thing that I got that I understood was the magic eye. They're like, oh, the pattern looks familiar. And I'm like, it's totally a magic eye box. And then who called that? Was it Dave Bautista's mom? Dave Bautista's mom, the actress who played that role only being eight years older than actual Dave Bautista. Wait, what? Yeah, but I did get it ahead of her. Well, did you like? Did you look that up or did you somehow know that? No, I I, saw, I, I read it. But after all, the, it, it really doesn't pay off, does it? Because I was like, look, I kind of checked out during the uh, the elaborate opening of the box. But when they finally got it open, I was like, this better be good. And it wasn't. It was a paper invitation. And those boxes right. are incredibly expensive. It was actually part of Miles's undoing because of the box and how it made its way to Benoit Blanc, uh, a.k.a. Foghorn Leghorn. And because it was replicated or reset or whatever. No, it wasn't. That was Miles's speculation. Because Helen brought that was his cover. the smashed one to him, right? But it could have been just one. Given that they were all linked and all had each other on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever it was, they were identical invitations. You needed to send one to one person who then could have communicated the results of opening the box to everyone else. Absolutely. It didn't reveal specific clues to specific people. It didn't give them specific tools that they would then use later in the murder mystery. They were like they were identical. I guess it's an interesting device to use to introduce your cast. And, but what it said to me about this cast was that, that this group of people, they're collaborative. They each bring their own talent or skill to this mission and that they're friends, which all was not true <laughs> or all was unnecessary. Yeah, but they were, I mean, the collaborative part, at least initially, they all got on the phone and started, you know, talking about it and stuff. I'm not sure if they contributed to each other opening the box, but if I had done the box thing, which didn't pay off anyway, it would have been a piece of a clue that would have required them to come together to piece together the invitation, uh, yes. you know, and it wasn't. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of lame. And I figured that the rest of it would be not like on autopilot or whatever, but it's more of a simple mystery that's not crazy intricate. And in a way, it wasn't because this wasn't a mystery. It was more of a twistery. There wasn't any real question about who the murderer was. At least I didn't feel like Miles, uh, you know, switching the drink and stuff was going to be a huge reveal. It was just Ryan Johnson laying out the intricacies of how he came to that decision. His re revelations through flashbacks, but not really any mystery about who actually committed the murder. Because it took a long time. Kelly Ray was like, this is an awful lot of setup for a murder that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yes, because we don't find out that Andy is being in impersonated, that Andy is also, is actually dead. And Andy, Andy's murder is the actual murder in question. Well, it was kind of Andy's murder, sort of, through the flashbacks, but also Duke. Initially Duke. So if Miles was indeed the murderer of Andy, spoiler, <laughs> Why, to Foghorn Lakehorn's point, would he convene everybody to talk about murder? And why would he tolerate Benoit Blanc even being there when there's a murder afoot? Well, by then, he, he was too in to back out. He welcomed everybody and he was like, Benoit Blanc, well, that's crazy. Can I talk to you for a second? You know, 
but I'm not, yeah, no. So the movie could happen so they can get them all to the James Bond villain diabolical island and things can go haywire. Honestly, like I get that Andy's, the revelation of Andy's murder is ultimately the twist or whatever that serves Glass Onion as a knives out mystery, but kind of checked out a little bit. Like by the end, I was like, okay, we're going to explain the twists and turns. We're going to take us through the thing. There's going to be a giant fire battle room thing and it kind of devolves or whatever, but I was gone. I was off the mystery by then. I kind of didn't care. What were you doing? What were you preoccupied with? Watching the crazy action movie unfold with James Bond in, in the James Bond villain house and Edward Norton, who was the villain in the Italian job and Dave Bautista, who was an Avenger. With surprising cameos from Hugh Grant and Ethan Hawke. Not only that, Angela Lansbury and I think her final role, Stephen Sondheim before he died. Wait, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in this? <laughs> yep. He was on the Zoom call with Angela Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim and Natasha Leon or whatever. <laughs> Jogo Lev's even <laughs> even credited as the hourly dong. Right? Because he's been in every single Ryan Johnson movie, as has the stoner dude who was uh, had a role in Knives Out, is now the stoner dude in Glass Onion. Can you really credit him for hourly dong? Hourly dong, yeah, man. That's what I would want to be credited as. <laughs> and look, it was... Obviously, it was a lot to keep up with. It was pop culture. It's why I called it the Museum of Jurassic Technology, because it was so random and yet kind of relevant to specific people or whatever. But I'm not sure that there is anybody except possibly Ryan Johnson who recognized everybody in this movie or every reference. You knew that Yo-Yo Ma was a famous musician, but you didn't necessarily know that he was Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, I felt like I was pretty up, but I was still a step behind. I felt like I got maybe 75, 80% of the references. And in, in a way, it substantiates your feeling of intelligence. Like, I belong in this movie. I recognize that person. I'm up on Ryan Johnson's murder mystery. And then you're just not. Because there's no way to be. They're probably, upon rewatching, uh, lots of clues that will help be like, of course, and you understand after the fact. But... This one, I think you're just trying to keep up. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's designed specifically to keep you one step behind, but not necessarily in terms of pop culture references. No, but that should while, be fun and accessible. Yes, but also while you're watching it, you can't talk and you can't like glory in your recognition of some of these things because I said one word and Kelly Ray was like, pause, pause. Can you rewind? You can't talk mm -hmm. to me during like this movie because there's too much and I'm missing too much. It's true. You could, well, because it's a murder mystery, you're like anything and everything can be a clue, which holds true, right? Especially when Benoit Blanc is piecing together Miles's pretend murder mystery, play murder mystery, right? Everything is a clue. I thought it was really great when he ruins it. I was like, oh, because this is what we were all banking on. Obviously, we believed that Miles was going to set up an elaborate dinner murder mystery, and then he himself was going to be killed, whether that be by his design or not. And then he totally crapped on it and pulled it apart. And I was like, that's clever, because it totally resets the whole thing that we've been kind of working on, and it forces us to let go of our evaluation thus far when he doesn't die, when in fact Duke dies. But there was too much set up for that not to happen. And I found I couldn't trust anything. Did you feel this? Like everything was potent, every word, every nuance, every glance was potentially a clue. <laughs> and I, 
I expected the whole time this is a hustle. I couldn't be sure anything was happening, that Duke wasn't in on it. Was he really dead? Never really could. I couldn't take anything for granted. And in a way, that was frustrating. Like the gag mm. with the Mona Lisa painting and the security, the whoop, whoop, and the glass. I was like, that is going to get annoying really quick. And mm. the stoner dude walking in and out. And I was like, he's got to be tied in some way. They got to go back to the invitation box. Oh, this is like the puzzle box that we were forced to communicate, work together and solve together to obtain the, uh, the passport to the private island or whatever. And then it kind of didn't come around. It was like an orgy of clues, not all of which were fundamental. And in a way, more than it, like that enhances the mystery. If you don't know what's a clue, then you really have to pay close attention. In this case, it felt a little bit like too much. I mean, this is a very specific genre where there's probably, and there probably is a threshold with how much, to how many places you can direct your audience's attention before they start to check out. But I think my problem with this film comes down to the fact that the ultimate murder within the present narrative storyline was completely impulsive and not premeditated. Edward Norton may have impulsively wanted to contain the Andy suicide information or the Andy murder information, but he certainly wasn't going to keep the group from it for long. Like, what was his long-term play here? I don't know. Did he have an ultimate design? Because having Andy show up should have thrown, or Helen in this case, should have thrown his entire plan into disarray, even if we don't know what that plan is. Like, Benoit Blanc and the dead girl show up for his murder mystery. Did he have a long con where it wasn't just a fun weekend getting the, the gang back together? He obviously didn't send the, the invitation box to Helen. So he sent it to Andy and Helen received it at Andy's when she found her body. Yes, I think that was a play to get beyond suspicion that, you know, because I sent it to Andy. I had no idea that Andy was gone. And none of them really knew until the news broke via Google Alert on Duke's phone. Gotcha. I don't think there was a grand design. Maybe we're supposed to excuse that because Miles is technically an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he can't be all idiot. And maybe Benoit Blanc was just speaking out of frustration because of how stupid the murder of Dave Bautista was and the pineapple juice kind of a thing. I mean, which is kind of an elegant solution, right? You could totally say that that was a mistake. Well, here's the problem. Rich people are generally rich for a reason. Remember when nerds were nerds in the 80s and you're like, oh, that guy's a nerd or whatever. And now nerds rule the world. It's kind of like that. The nerdiness, as I discussed, was a specialization. Nerds are smart, quote unquote, but they tend to be lacking in other social skills. For example, they can code well, but they can't communicate to people to make friends or meet girls or whatever the case may be. He was, I think, extremely fortunate in that his business was crazy successful and he decided that he was intelligent enough to orchestrate this elaborate murder mystery. But in other ways, he was a little bit deficient. He aspired to be intelligent beyond his means. Beyond his ability. His means allowed him to outsource everything. Yes. What was with the vocab? thing was it all just um like goonies level mispronunciation uh it was all carefully constructed so in that way there were traps that we could fall into or completely overlook because i heard the weirdness of the words and you would think that you or i being english majors would be like that's not a word that's not a word but he kept saying it with such conviction and it went by so quickly that i was like uh maybe i don't understand his usage but i wasn't in a position to call him out immediately for a lot of those obviously after the fact you're like well that's dumb because benoit called him outright and 
an idiot. Like, and, and he was embarrassed by his, his word use or whatever. But I think he was just in a little bit over his head. And it wasn't possible to laser focus my attention to call out all of these things because I was too on guard. It was too much of my attention to understand what the thing was, the clues that we were supposed to catch. But also, what does it mean? So predefinite is definitely not a word. But does it mean something that he should have said definitive? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. It sounds like it does. But this is unpacking you have to do after Christmas. After this movie, then you get to understand what the intricacies of this of it are. There was one bit of relief that I had in this movie. And that was when we reveal kind of halfway through that Benoit Blanc and Helen are in on this together and that Benoit Blanc was briefed on this beforehand. It was a real relief to me because I didn't understand and I was really irritated by how I, I didn't understand why Benoit Blanc was being such a dodo. Like he was playing all dumb. Like, oh, I'm so happy to be here, sir. This room is amazing. Yeah. And like, do we win something like an iPad? Like, I, I just didn't understand. Like, I thought maybe, okay, he's like dumbing himself down to like fit in. Or maybe this is Benoit Blanc just like having a good time. But then I was like, oh, thank goodness. That was just some kind of act to disarm this group or to let like allow them or Miles specifically to accept him. After that reveal, I was like, okay. At least he's at least Benoit Blanc hasn't just gone off the rails. While that might have been vindicating for you, just for the Benoit Blanc character, in a way that was my opportunity to kind of check out. Once we reset and we went back in time to before the box with Helen slash Andy or whatever, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn this one into a washer and it's gonna feed me or it's not, because I'm tired of the constant level of of vigilance that it requires for no payoff. So you liked Knives Out. Do you remember anything about that film? I do, but I don't remember exactly what happened other than the death contained in a house. This one was a much bigger, uh, rich asshole house. But I don't think I need to remember, oh, yes, you know, it was Colonel Mustard with the pipe in the study or whatever. No, it's irrelevant. Benoit Blanc, as far as I'm aware, is the only returning character. Yep. And it pissed uh, Ryan Johnson off when the studio insisted that they tack on to Glass Onion a Knives Out mystery, given that this particular movie has nothing to do with Knives Out. They're just trying to create a new franchise. Right. Although Knives Out is trending again on Netflix to be one of the highest streamers in anticipation of this movie, it's not going to do you any good. No. But but it is like a Poirot or whatever, <clears throat> like a Kenneth Branagh-style murder on the Orient Express or death on the Nile. It's these people, and they're rich, and they come from different backgrounds, but they maybe know each other or don't, and they're on this thing where they got to figure it out, and there's no out outside interference. It seemed fairly straightforward in the same way that Ryan Johnson's Brick was a murder mystery, you know, via unconventional uh, setting and characters all being kids. Um, but it's pretty standard issue, just heavily infused. Every ounce of this movie is a reference to something else, or it feels informed and knowledgeable in a way that I was like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure he has purpose or whatever. Give it to me. So when he carefully inserted improper words, I, I was just like, I don't know. Maybe he knows more than me. Go for it. <laughs> I mean, I was happy for myself. I was like... Kelly Ray looked at me during the uh, the Among Us scene, and I and I was like, "Yeah, I know that game. That's Among Us. Get it? Because you don't know who the killer is. Cool." And he, uh, I think it was Duke, who was like, "Yeah, 
he social networked her. And I was like, ah, I get it. Cause in the social network, that movie by David Fincher about the Facebook movie, he totally stabbed him in the back and, and got him to sign off away his thing and, and, and cheated him out of all the money for Facebook. And that was me mm-hmm. keeping like being satisfied that I could keep up where I had my, my eye completely off of the actual murder mystery taking place in front of me. It was a lot. It was a lot. There are many, many doors that you can open up, many rabbit holes that you could fall into and lose and take your eye off the ball, which I think is what Miles was anticipating. Like, you know, you're dazzling. Look at that dress and the old magician trick of distract them with a beautiful woman while you pull the bait and switch over here. You mean the Dave Bautista ruse with whiskey, sending her in to do Dave Bautista's bidding? Even though it appears like she's being unfaithful to him. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird, right? Yeah. Be like, if you love me, babe, go do this for me. But he was definitely weird. Was it appropriate for Dave Bautista to wear a Speedo? Uh, Yes. Someone just called him. I don't remember. I don't think it was Ryan. I don't remember who it was, but called Dave Bautista the greatest uh, wrestler turned actor of all time. Sorry, The Rock. I was about to say, how can you possibly say that in any company whatsoever with Dwayne Johnson? The point is, it's not out of the question for Dave Bautista to be rocking a Speedo. Can you name any other uh, gun in the Speedo, in the belt of a Speedo? Movie? I don't think so. That seems dangerous. Not that a holster with the bottom would be safer, right? But still, the just like half holster with the barrel sticking out against your dong probably isn't a good idea. <laughs> Um, he's still rocking that six pack or those tattoos. Uh, he's got tattoos. They they were like augmented. He has tattoos. I don't think they were those tattoos for the most part. Enhanced six pack. Yeah. I think he's got, cause he's kind of old. I think he had, remember that was that brief time in the early nineties where people were getting tattoos around their belly button. And now it just makes your belly button look like a dirty butthole. So they stopped doing it. Use a dirty butthole. Yeah, he's a, he has one of those. He has a belly button tattoo, which was completely obliterated, you know, with all these tattoos that he's got. He had so many tattoos, I, I couldn't even see what they were. The thing is, these supporting characters were all kind of interchangeable. I mean, yeah, Kate Hudson had her Sweetie Pants story, and Dave Bautista had his Twitch thing, and the there was the politician, and the scientist, and the assistant, and blah, blah, blah. But really, like, their purpose was interchangeable, right? They all need him. He's, he's their honey boy. And then they all turn against him simultaneously. All it takes is just for one lemming to turn, the, turn to another direction, and they all follow. Was that you uh, using a term that seems like it's in keeping but is actually not correct? Why is he their honey boy? <laughs> Was that a misuse? Well, I don't know. That's not what Honey Boy meant in Honey Boy, starring Shia LaBeouf, but it seemed vaguely appropriate where I feel like I should call you out on it. What do you mean by that? Honey Boy means that you're my my source of money. Okay. According to Slate.com, Honey Boy comes from a real term of endearment that LaBeouf's father used for him. So maybe it's completely made up. I thought it was like a urban dictionary. It is an urban dictionary, actually, word. But in a subversive way, he probably got that from like hookers or something. Okay, I was totally wrong. That was that was totally a Miles moment. But you see how I called you out all Benoit Blanc style? You totally did. Yeah. It just means someone who's sweet. But I thought it meant someone who pays all your bills. Oh, sugar mama. I was thinking it's the male equivalent of a sugar mama. Yeah, honey bear, honey yeah. gram, a teddy gram. A sugar daddy. See, there's so many of these, all of which could be a deep dive rabbit hole that you are you come out the other end and it's like totally fake. 
You know how the mazes on paper come to a dead end? These are like extremely long dead ends where you go traverse the length of the maze just to hit a wall, the shining style. But I wrote them all down at first because I was all intent. I was like, oh, that's going to come back around. Kate Hudson was like, oh, you're so you're the one you, you solved the case with the belly dancer with the thing and the thing. And I was like, oh, that's significant. And it's not. <laughs> and then nothing showed up. I believed everything was an elaborate hustle. And in a way, I felt like Ryan Johnson kind of played us for dummies. So what was the keystone clue? What was it that Benoit Blanc needed from Helen? in order to nail down miles was it it was the envelope right or it was the, the the napkin the napkin which they find and then he immediately burns yep and then it's all just like destructo get get your revenge and then the the truth will come out in the wash kind of right. a thing slow motion fire bursts and shattering glass all that shattered glass on the floor no diehard reference Nope. And no real meaning other than catharsis. Like I was hoping that there would be, you know, they'd break one of the glass, you know, the things and find out that it was where he stored all of the unobtainium or something. And then it would all blow up. Or... <laughs> right. I thought they were going to drop it Indiana Jones style and not be able to find it because it looked like a piece of broken glass. Right. Exactly. Oh, so many opportunities. I feel like any of the number, any number of the opportunities that you have mentioned in, over the course of this review I mean, I don't want to say would have been better because I understand this thing is intricate and it's all interconnected. And like I was trying to say earlier, this is a very specific genre that requires a very deft hand. But it seemed like a movie filled with a lot of fluff and a lot of misopportunity. I never quite invested in any one of the characters. I was mostly kind of annoyed by Benoit <laughs> Blanc, which would have been fine. It would, it would have been fine, right? Because Sherlock Holmes consistently annoys me until he pulls it all together and you're like, ah, because he's always, detectives are always like obnoxiously oblique. Is that the right word? I, I got nothing. It's, an, it's okay enough that I'm going to let it pass like I did most of this movie. <laughs> but then in the end, I'm just kind of like, ah. <laughs> What am I going to talk about? We're going to talk about the confusion. I believe that going in that I underestimated Ryan Johnson because I do think it was to appropriately twisty. And I think upon really close inspection, it holds together very well. Undoubtedly, like Knives Out did, people have love for Knives Out. And I remember at the time I gave it a totally review because I was like, that was twisty and cool and Captain America wore a sweater. I, I, and then af long after the fact, I never revisited Knives Out. I so sort of dreaded this one because as much as I liked Knives Out, I viewed it with some level of disdain. It's not that it made me feel dumb. It was just a very sweater-wearing, cocoa-sipping kind of Jamie Lee Curtis murder mystery that was fine. But it's very—it's like going to an escape room. That's neato for the experience. And then you never want to go to that escape room again. And so like this one, when it, he kept cheapening it with the hippie like stoner character and the Mona Lisa clanky, unclanky security thing. It's like the gags took any real substance from the murder where people actually died or didn't die because of Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. Um, Yeah, I didn't really care. And I thought that he was in the interest of making it fun and clever, not making it a murder that I actually cared enough to follow closely to solve. So in another way, it's, it's a lot like the original Knives Out. I have admiration for what it is. Once I find the exit, there's no part of me that's clamoring to go back. 
So Glass Onion, a two hour and 19 minute escape room experience that you didn't really have to pay for because it's quote unquote free on Netflix that you wouldn't revisit again. I, I mean, I might just because this one was very elaborate and the, the pop culture references, which I don't remember for the original, were so, they was nonstop. It was an assault of them. I do feel like I missed stuff, maybe for that reason, but I didn't really care about the murder in particular, even the first time watching this movie. It was fine. I view it as a weird little contained curiosity that doesn't have to bleed into my other award season movie experiences. Glass Onion, a murder mystery dinner theater held at the Museum of Jurassic Technology. <sighs> and your final rating is? Uh, there's twistiness and there's Ryan Johnson, who I still have, like, I don't even care about Star Wars. I'm still annoyed at how badly he botched The Last Jedi Come At Me, Bro. But this one is, as I think I mentioned for original Knives Out, is Ryan Johnson in his element. Him doing a crime murder mystery kind of smaller film is his forte. I think he's really strong at it. Kelly Ray was like hugely anticipating this movie. And when it was done, she's like, it was fun, right? And it was fun, meant to be fun. It just wasn't meant to be deep. And so I don't want to take that away from him. It's definitely an all right rating. A lot going on in Glass Onion. It didn't pay off for me. It was an elaborate puzzle box. And at the center, there was a little note that said, it was Ever Norton. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Next, please. And there you have it. You got an all right from Wessa Boring from Iris. That's our discussion on Glass Onion, a Ryan Johnson whodunit, and a Knives Out mystery available on Netflix. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Wes, how do people support us at or whatever movies? Patreon. Woo-woo. And by subscribing to our podcast, wherever you get podcasts, giving us a five-star rating, and following us on Instagram at or whatever movies. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interview. Electric Acid.